to say welcome to everybody who's uh, tuning in for our Equip Now workshop here in February. I'm with uh, Pastor Daryl Geddes, uh, pastor at Christ Church International here in Minneapolis. And uh, Pastor Daryl, you're also serving a few other capacities of leadership. I know you're on our church health team here at the district. Um, you're also a part of the National Black Fellowship. What is it that you do there? Yeah, I'm the executive secretary uh, for the National Black Fellowship of the Assemblies of God. Yeah. Matter of fact, we're celebrating 40 years of existence, uh, actually in 2020, started in 1980, the National Black Fellowship. Mm -hmm. And how long have you been a part of the leadership there? Well, I've been a part of the uh, National Black Fellowship since its inception in 1980. I think I maybe joined in 82, uh, but I've been the executive secretary now for six years. Well, you just recently... Um wrote an article in Influence Magazine, and it came out in print uh, fairly recently, and then they just released it here in February uh, digitally online. Called, and the, the topic is Leading a Multiracial, Multiethnic, Multigenerational Church, a Case Study in Ministry Across Racial and Ethnic Lines. And uh, we just wanted to have a conversation here and just hear from you a little bit, just kind of talk about a couple things that you, you know, if you haven't checked, if if you're if you're tuning in and you haven't had a chance to read that, I do encourage you to check it out. I'll post I'll post a link here uh, on the side that you can link to and, and read later. But with Pastor Daryl here, we just if you could just talk through a couple things. You know, uh, first of all, maybe just give us a little background. You know, ministry experience. You talk a little bit about that here in the uh, in the article, and then uh, get into some of your points here. Sure, sure. You know, I, I got saved in 1974 on the college campus at Northwestern in Evanston, Illinois. And uh, I always wanted from the earliest inception or, or realization that I was called to ministry, I never wanted to pastor a um, homogeneous church. I always wanted to pastor a diverse church. Uh, I think part of that was my growing up on the south side of Chicago, uh, one of the most segregated cities in the nation at that particular time, and going through the civil rights movements, you know, the 60s and the 70s. You know, I always wanted to do something that was inclusive. And so when I gave my heart to the Lord at 18 years of age and began to follow him and uh, pursue preparing myself for ministry, I always wanted to do a diverse church. I wanted to do a, a church that would be reflective of heaven. And um, God has placed me in places uh, over the course of my, my ministry uh, that has allowed me, you know, finally to be here in Minneapolis and to actually get to do what was on my heart uh, when I got saved at 18 years of age. So I've always wanted to do a multicultural, multi-ethnic, and uh, multi-generational church, uh, something reflective of heaven. So in this, so the, where you're at now with Christ Church International, tell us a little bit about the diversity that you've, you have in your church right now. Yeah. Well, Christ Church International this year is 100 years old. Uh, so it's, it's gone from being a Nord and Swedish church uh, in its inception, uh, to now uh, being in a neighborhood that is very diverse. We have the probably the largest Hispanic population uh, in the state. 
uh, in and around the area, uh, a huge Somali population, uh, the largest uh, Native American population outside of the reservations, uh, all within the area directly surrounding uh, Christ Church International, uh, as well as um, Asian and um, white. <laughs> and so the, the church is in an area demographically that will support it really living out its name, Christ Church International. Um, so, so we're really in a, a wonderful area to actually uh, be able to reach a, a multiplicity of people. Right now in our congregation, we have about 17 different nations uh, that are represented there. Um, uh, we have a lot of West Africans, a few East Africans. Uh, we have a few people from um, a few Hmong, uh, a few Hispanic, a few Native Americans, uh, a, a few of everything are, are represented in our congregation. So we would consider ourselves to be be multi-ethnic at this time. Yeah. Now that's, uh, you know, you talk a little bit in your article, this idea of community reflection. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of representation of the demographics of your community. You're trying to, yeah. that's what you're trying to do, replicate with inside your church. Yeah. And, and that now in previous ministry experience, I, I pastored for three years in uh, Little Rock, Arkansas. And uh, the community that I pastored in in Little Rock was all African-American. And my church reflected the nature of the community that I was in. Even though my heart has always been for something to, uh, diverse, uh, in reaching my Jerusalem, my Jerusalem when I was in Little Rock, Arkansas, was African-American. And so my church reflected the community that I found myself in. Um, and even though I, I believe that we should all strive to be as diverse as we possibly can, uh, sometimes the communities that we find ourselves in restrict the ability of us actually being able to reflect uh, a diversity that we would long to have uh, represented uh, in our pews. So, But uh, Christ Church International right now sits in the midst of one of probably one of the most diverse communities, I would suggest, not just in Minnesota, but uh, probably in the United States of America. So I think it's important uh, that when we're pastoring a church that we understand the demographics around us, uh, that we understand who's living in the community that we want to reach, who's living in our Jerusalem, uh, what different nationalities, what different people groups, uh, what are the ages, uh, what's the economic status of the people that are living there. And I think that that informs us, uh, Matt, and helps us to know what we need to do to reach the people that are living in our community. That's good. And we're finding too, like, and you can speak to this as well, um, but it's, you know, it's not just the, the metropolitan areas. It's not just the Twin Cities. We're seeing um, more and more, you know, diverse populations in rural communities. Yeah, and, and that's exciting. You know, it's, it's interesting. Uh, when I drive to rural areas in uh, Minnesota, uh, I'm always shocked when I see a person of color walking down the street. You know, I say, hey. And, you know, my first question to whoever's hosting me is, what are they doing here? You know. Uh, but, yeah, our diversity is no longer uh, just in the larger metropolitan areas. Uh, the diversity is spreading out throughout 
uh, the state. And uh, Wilmer is a classic example of that diversity. When I first got here, I went to preach in Wilmer, and Wilmer was becoming Hispanic back then. Uh, there were a lot of Hispanics moving there, but uh, and, and there still are quite a few Hispanics living in Wilmer. Uh, but now there's also a, a, a relatively large population of Somalis uh, that are living in Wilmer. <clears throat> and so, you know, recognizing who's around us helps us to craft uh, our approach so that we're sensitive to to them and, and able to tailor our approach uh, at reaching them as well. So it, it's it's an interesting time we're living in. It really For is. For sure. And, and, you know, statistics are telling us, too, that that's what they call it, what, the browning of America, that it's yes. only going to increase, you know, over time. Yes. And, and not only the browning of America, the browning of the Assemblies of God. We are quickly approaching a point, a tipping point in the Assemblies of God as a, a movement where um, not too long, probably in the next 20 or 30 years, uh, we probably will be minority majority, uh, where the, the comp, uh, compilation of all the minority groups that are a part of the Assembly of God will, will be the uh, statistically larger than the a white minority. And I think it's a great opportunity for us to embrace it and for us to live out what Christianity really is all about. Uh, you know, the little simple song that we always have, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. And if we really believe that, you know, then we should be able to uh, set aside our differences um, and uh, be able to build something that's reflective of the diversity uh, that is becoming the United States of America. Yeah, we're, and I'm seeing, we're seeing that more and more. You know, I get, I, I'm blessed to be able to get out and share some stories of our local churches all, all over Minnesota. Mm -hmm. And just in the last couple months, I know there was one, a, a small church community, uh, but they've had a, a, you know, they have a strong West African uh, demographic now. And so it's cool to see that they, then have, uh, you know, they have West Africans who are helping lead worship in the church. And we've seen that with some of the Hispanic communities who are uh, in some of our churches who are historically, you know, white, but they're, you know, reaching out and just make building these bridges. And you had mentioned too, Wilmer, you know, and as we, as we reflect on the community and the demographics, maybe it's, you talk a little bit about, you know, there, there are cultures, uh, you know, groups of people who, uh, might not be as they might not be w waiting to walk through the doors of your church, you know. But right, right. how do you build connections with a you know a Somali community with like that that you have? You know, that's a great question. Um, right across the street from us, there was a Russian cleaners. Uh, the Russian cleaners uh, moved, and um, Somalis bought the building and they turned it into a multi-business uh, facility. And uh, so right across the street from Christ Church International now, we have a, a, a huge Somali presence. And uh, we recognized immediately, you know, that uh, to win them, because we immediately began to pray, Lord, open the, the, their eyes so that they can see. Uh, but we also recognize that uh, winning Somalis to the Lord is not something that happens overnight. Uh, but it's uh, something that you have to invest in for a lifetime. And um, so that's what we've done. You know, uh, 
There was tension at first uh, between some of our membership and theirs because of parking. Um, but the, the situation around George Floyd and the social unrest that followed really uh, gave us opportunity to get to know each other. Uh, they were protecting their business, and we were protecting our church. And we actually came together, and uh, we helped each other. Uh, they had flashlights in their building. We had flashlights in our building, and we had a code. If either one of us were being um, attacked, we would shine our flashlights in the window. They would come run help us. We would come and run help them. You know, that really broke down some walls, and uh, we made some great friendships, and now the animosity is gone. Now, we're still a long way uh, from them uh, becoming and sitting down and uh, uh, enjoying a service with us, uh, but the, the ice has been broken, and, and I really believe that in the future, there will be a representation of Somalis that will be a part of Christ Church International. I really believe that God's going to do that for us. Now, how long that's going to take, I'm not sure. Whether or not I'll even still be the pastor uh, when that takes place, I'm not sure. But I know that God is calling uh, representation from every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every ethnicity to be a part of his kingdom. And I believe that that same thing will be reflected at Christ Church International. Uh, and then we have the Hispanic community. Now, most of the Hispanics in our community are, are Catholic. And so they're much more open uh, to the gospel. Uh, we've got a Spanish church that meets uh, in our building, Maranatha Assembly de Dios. And they are reaping a harvest amongst uh, Hispanics that live in the community uh, uh, because there is that, that, that tie between Catholicism and uh, evangelical Protestantism. So, um, you know, it's, it's just different with each culture. It's different with each culture. And I think we need to be sensitive in how we approach them and recognize uh, that it's not necessarily an overnight process with some uh, cultures and ethnicities within our communities. And you, you know, you reference in your article then too, you've there's an intentionality then behind understanding your demographic. You now have an intentionality, whether it's just building bridges within the community, but also within leadership. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I'm so proud of our district, you know, so proud of our superintendent, uh, Mark Dean, uh, because he uh, initiated the whole process of rural churches and suburban churches, uh, building relationships with urban churches, churches in the city context. And to be honest with you, I, uh, although I had thought about it for years, the thing that forced the issue for me was this whole social unrest beyond, uh, that came be behind the murder of George Floyd. Um, I had uh, pastors reaching out uh, to me uh, from the rural uh, Minnesota. Um, I don't know if Red Wing is considered rural, but it's, it's, it's not in the Twin Cities for sure. It's about an hour and a half drive. And... Uh, Tom Johnson, Pastor Tom, uh, drove to the city, he and his son, and they wanted to know what was going on. They were watching the news like all of us were, but they wanted to have firsthand knowledge of what was really taking place in the cities. Uh, they didn't want the uh, uh, MSNBC or CNN slant, and they didn't want the Fox News slant. They wanted the real tea. <laughs> and he drove up. We walked down uh, to the Midtown Global Market. We ate 
a lunch there. We talked, we discussed, and we have built a relationship now between um, New River Assembly of God in Red Wing and Christ Church International right on the south side of Minneapolis. And, and that was intentionality. And, and I have to give it to Tom. Uh, I didn't seek him out. He sought me out. And he continues to seek me out. You know, uh, he's been such a blessing. We've traded pulpits now. I, I went down and preached for him in his congregation. And I was surprised as you were talking about West Africans. He had uh, some West Africans that were a part of his congregation. Uh, and there were some African-Americans. I was surprised to see them there, you know. And, uh, you know, my wife and I preached for him. And then we had him come up and preach for us in October uh, for our pastor's appreciation. Our next step. Uh, with uh, New River and with Pastor Tom is we're going to have their congregational leadership come down and work with us on a, one of our all-church work days uh, in our building. And, and we're not just going to work. We're going to sit down. We're going to talk. Uh, we're going to be intentional not just to co-mingle, uh, but to really begin to uh, address uh, the elephants in the room that Oftentimes, we just never address. And so we're being very intentional about building those types of relationships uh, with churches outside. Uh, as a, a result of uh, the George Floyd incident, you know, I've, we've built some relationships with Emmanuel, uh, Grace Church of Eden, Eden Prairie. We've built these strong relationships with these churches and with businesses. We had an elevator company come and help us uh, to pass out of food uh, during the months of uh, June, July, and August when we were uh, every Saturday passing out food. So, so the intentionality, you know, you have to be intentional. And then I think the intentionality of not just building relationships between the pastors, but also building relationships within uh, with the leadership of the congregations. Uh, because if it's just pastor to pastor, it's not going to affect the congregation. But when we bring the leadership of the congregation in, then what is happening with the pastors can also affect and impact the congregants as well. So it's exciting. I am so excited. Uh, pastor Tom is helping us right now. We're, we're uh, attempting to do something called an Internet Homework Hub. Uh, since uh, the kids in our community are doing distance learning, and many of them don't have strong Internet uh, capacity within their homes. So we're setting up our kids' area to double as our kids' area and also to double during the week as an Internet homework hub. And Pastor Tom is helping us with that. You know, That's great. Uh, the area had been flooded. We had to remediate it, and now we're rebuilding uh, that area. And Pastor Tom is helping us uh, Someone in his congregation brought, uh, bought us two 75-inch televisions that we're going to be able to mount down there uh, to help with this Internet Homework Hub. So we're just excited. We're excited about building these relationships and then maintaining them uh, once the moment that brought us together has kind of passed and dissipated. I, I think it's really interesting, again, from a district perspective, it's been fun to see the church partnerships that have, you know, like yeah. you alluded to that have come up, but also some of the other other, other initiatives that came out of 2020 yeah. uh, related to, you know, investing in, in the next generation of black leaders. Um, you know, we've had some real great conversations that you've been a part of, Pastor Daryl, now as, as a member of the church health team, which was a new, a new addition as well. 
Um, but we've had some great conversations about um, looking at our churches that are ethnically uh, diverse churches and, you know, really being intentional about what we're doing there as well. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I, you know, the, the leadership of the district is just uh, phenomenal. You know, I, I thank God that they saw an opportunity and they didn't run from it. Uh, they didn't stick their heads in the ground, uh, but they addressed it. You know, um, uh, we're, we've got scholarships now for MSONG. I think we have something going also with um, North Central, you know, where there's uh, some types of scholarships available there as well. So I think the district has, has been um, very uh, intentional in setting the groundwork uh, as we reach out and find out where the next generation of, of pastors is. Tom Lyon is an excellent example of this. You know, Tom is, has started his church, Digi. He calls it a Digi church. He's just online right now, and he's built a relationship with the pastor up in Brom, Minnesota, you know, and I can't remember his name right, now, right offhand. It, it slips my mind. Uh, but if that could be reflected in all of the African-American churches in the Twin Cities and the Latino churches and the other churches of color, I think it would go a long way uh, to us appreciating the diversity that is becoming Minnesota. And I think, you know, I think back to Pastor St. John, kind of, I think, spearheaded a little bit years ago when we we have now a Hmong uh, section, you know, within our, with our district representing the many Hmong churches. And um, even last year as we we looked at what we were doing within Minneapolis and St. Paul and realizing, okay, we need to do we need to do better. You know, we need to invest in church planting within the cities of Minneapolis and St. Paul. And I think, you know, some of the initiatives putting funds toward that was, uh, was a great move. And, but at the same time, it was kind of fun in a way to see that out of our 250 churches, I think we have, uh, you know, over 40, if I'm, if I believe, help me out here, but over 40 that are, um, you know, ethnic churches, whether it's uh, Hmong or Hispanic or multicultural, you know, we have a pretty solid representation. But again, we've got work to do. But it, but at the same time, it was fun to see, you know, that things are happening. Yeah. Let me just say one more thing, too. Uh, the vote that we had in our last district council about the non-geographic presbyter, I think that that was just uh, very uh, well done because uh, if you're going to have uh, churches of color, you need to have representation of color at the highest levels of leadership within the district. And uh, thank God that our district, you know, again, we're on the cutting edge. I think we're on the cutting edge in that uh, voting to have that non-geographical presbyter uh, in place is is going to uh, be a great thing and, and will help us to continue to diversify uh, here in Minnesota. Yeah, I think we've got, like I said, my, my phrase is we've got work to do, but yes. we're headed in the right direction. There you go. There you go. You there know? you go. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, so it's cool. It's interesting to see what we're doing at a district level and a leadership level. And uh, mm -hmm. we're seeing, you know, local churches who are, are reaching out and engaging with their community, which is becoming more and more diverse. Uh, what would you say to a pastor, you know, who might be maybe in the Twin Cities or maybe in, in rural Minnesota who says, hey, I, I now have a five to 10%, you know, Hispanic population or whatever it might be within my city. And I'd like to be more intentional about reaching out. What are some, what are some tips that you, that you would offer up to a pastor? Oh, great question. You know, first of all, I, I would, again, uh, challenge them to be intentional. 
if they're seeing that type of a demographic begin to uh, be a part of their community, then I think one of the things that really needs to happen is that um, their staff needs to reflect the community that they're trying to reach. You know, we still don't have a Hispanic on our staff. You know, we've tried for years to find a Hispanic. Uh, the last youth pastor that I hired, I was left looking for someone Hispanic but couldn't find one um, because we're right in the heart of a Hispanic community. So uh, your leadership needs to reflect the community that you're trying to reach because when people of color come in, the first thing that they're looking for is someone that looks like them. They are. Uh, the other day when we had the uh, broadcast with the, I can't remember his name, uh, the gentleman. Oh, I know. Uh, Troy Jones. The Troy Jones. Yeah, Troy Jones. When I got on, the first thing I noticed was, oh, there's a black guy that I hadn't, I hadn't seen before. And come to find out that he's in Alexandria, that he's a youth pastor, and he's one of uh, the youth reps and... Uh, but it was just interesting because that's the first thing I saw. You know, I saw all of the white faces, but my my antennas went up when, when I saw faces of color. And so I think that that's uh, really important. If we're wanting to reach communities of color, we need to have people in places of leadership within our congregations that reflect of the people that we're trying to reach. And that's not always easy because we don't have a plethora of individuals to draw on. Uh, but uh, if we're if we're intentional, you know, we can figure that out, even if we have to uh, grow them up ourselves. You know, you've, it hasn't always been an easy road sometimes when you're navigating, diff, you know, multiple generations, multicultures. Right. You know, how do you how do you walk through that uh, cultural sensitivity? Yeah. Well, um, you know, w one of the things that we've done is is we, we really try to listen um, and um, we really try to hear uh, when, when we, we, we have a, a, a fairly large young adult population and our board had no young adults on it at all, you know. And uh, here we have this thriving young adult uh, population that's a part of our congregation, but they have no representation at the highest level of leadership within our church body. And they kept mentioning that to me, and at first I didn't hear them, and then I finally heard them. I said, oh, they're, they're not happy that they don't have representation. And so we addressed it, and we, we uh, were able to fast track uh, some of the young people uh, that were a part of our congregation, take them through the process. We didn't, um, we didn't set aside the process. We just fast tracked it. Uh, we allowed them uh, to get their membership, uh, and then we were uh, we allowed them to be voted on in uh, as board members for our church, and it 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 gave them representation at the highest level of um, leadership within within our church. So again, that intentionality needs to be reflected in all areas and aspects of that congregation's growth. Intentionality about representation. Uh, right now, we have a uh, Nigerian young man who is our youth pastor uh, because we have a lot of West Africans that are a part of our church. And we have an African-American young woman who's also a youth pastor. So we have two uh, part-time youth pastors. Uh, one is an African-American woman and one is a Nigerian young man. And there's an appeal there that we didn't have before 
uh, because we have both a male and a female. Uh, and so I think that that intentionality is extremely important in all facets uh, while you're building a church in a, a multicultural uh, context. Yeah, and you had you had mentioned too. You know, you talk about uh, the first step of intentionality. You know, was listening. You know, and I think we've been. That's what I've been challenged. Really been challenged in the last year, year and a half. Is like. I just need to listen and hear different voices. And part of that is just reading books. And uh, you had referenced one book uh, in your article by uh, Mark, I don't actually know how to say his name, Demas? Demas, yes. Demas, yes. Leading a Healthy Multi-Ethnic Church. Yes. Um, There's a couple quotes, but you had talked a little bit about his background too, which was pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's interesting. Uh, he's actually in Little Rock, Arkansas. And Little Rock is a is a. I pastored there for three years. It's a very different place. It's it's rural South, uh, with all of the uh, fixings, and uh, for them to be able to do a multicultural church in the South is not an easy thing. Uh, but he's been very intentional, and that that's part of where I got some of my uh, determination to be intentional is reading his book. You know, I. Whenever he made a hire, he was very intentional about who he hired. You know, he wanted to have a multi-racial, uh, multicultural, multi-generational church. And so he had to hire people that were reflective of uh, the community that he was trying to reach. He's right in Little Rock. We lived there for years. And so he had an African-American who was his teaching pastor, you know, on campus. That's very high visibility. And if you want African-Americans to be a part of your church, you have to have that person at a place of high visibility, you know, that's a part of your leadership team. So he's been very intentional as well. And it's a great book. I would, uh, it's, it's a few years old. It's a little dated. But the principles that he talks about within that book are definitely applicable uh, to building a good uh, multiracial, multicultural church in a city context. Yeah. And if you're, I'll just say, you know, if you're watching this here, uh, online and just kind of following along, I, I have a couple, a few copies, a handful of copies. And if you comment on this video, you're a pastor and you're just wanting, looking for more resources, wanting to learn more, listen more. Uh, if you just comment here on the video, um, I'll randomly choose some of the, you know, some from the comments and we'll, uh, we'll send you a book your way, no cost. So, um, we have that available. So, Pastor Darrell, uh, you know, let's let's uh, bring it home here. You know, you talk about you end kind of your article with uh, Revelation seven nine. You know, f- reaching Jerusalem, laboring together from every nation, tribe, people, and language. So, give us a good word here here at the end as we're you know wrapping up. What's good word of encouragement for us as pastors? Yeah, I think that we are at a Kairos moment. We're at a special moment in time especially here in the Twin Cities, I believe that we have an opportunity to demonstrate what Christianity really looks like. You know, coming up on the 7th of March, uh, they're going to be starting the trials of the officers that were involved in the murder of George Floyd. And I was on a Zoom call the other day. They're gathering pastors from across the state uh, to meet on the 7th uh, at the government center for a time of prayer in advance of the trial that'll start on the 8th. 
Uh, Sunday is the 7th, and then the trial will actually start on the 8th. I believe that we have an opportunity to demonstrate what it means to be a Christian, you know, where we can uh, come across denominational lines, across lines of color, you know, across lines of culture, all the things that we have allowed to divide us. This is our opportunity to demonstrate to a world that's looking to Minneapolis, Minnesota, that Christians can set aside their differences and stand together and pray for peace and pray for unity and pray for justice. And and so I'm excited. This is an exciting time to be alive. It's an exciting time to be a pastor here in the Twin Cities. It's It's an exciting time, and it's a great opportunity for us to demonstrate to the world Uh, that we uh, as Christians can set aside the things that have separated us for so long and join together uh, to demonstrate uh, true Christ-likeness in our love for one another. So good. Do you know know offhand how people can get involved with, you know, in March 7th? Yes. As a matter of fact, there's a, um, I need to reach into my briefcase to get it, though. But well, we can add. Yeah, let me let me grab something real quick. It's there's a website that you can go on. It's uh, prayformn.org. Prayformn.org, and that'll give you information about the gathering the Sunday, uh, March the seventh, uh, at the government center, and then again that. Uh, the 8th, when the trial starts, they're asking churches either to open their doors or for people to plan to just get together at 12 noon for a solid hour of prayer uh, around the whole trial. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, what we're going to try, I will uh, We'll post a link here in the comments um, Excellent. with that website, uh, as well as Pastor Daryl's article here in Influence. And then again, if you're looking to dig a little bit deeper, I've got a handful of books to give away. Just comment that you want one of those books and I'll randomly choose some of you and uh, we'll send a free book your way. Uh, but Pastor Daryl, thank you for your time. Uh, Appreciate my you coming on and uh, speaking words of wisdom. Well, thank you, Matt. Appreciate it. Uh-huh.